Once again, you already know what it is. You already know where you have reached the number one combat sports podcast anywhere in the world. Boxing, professional wrestling, mixed martial arts. We have you covered right here on the Hubbard Wrestling Weekly Podcast. Heard in all 50 states and internationally. What a weekend of combat sports we had. Last night was Ring of Honor Supercard. Tonight, we have NXT TakeOver Toronto. Tomorrow, we have SummerSlam from WWE. Later today, we have the Women's Flyweight UFC title on the line. It is a crazy combat sports weekend, and we have you covered all the way right here on Hashtag Covered Wrestling Weekly. Listen, before I introduce you to our big-time guest right here on August 10, 2019, I got to reintroduce you all to HaasPrayer.com. That's H-A-A-S-C-R-E-A.com for web platforming and web development. You got to make sure your business projects itself in the best possible light. And the only way to do that is HaasPrayer.com because we love tech. In addition to that, for all my people out there trying to get their money right, trying to save, get those college funds put together, make sure they're financially set for the future, there's only one person to reach out to, and that's LV Ross of Ross Wealth Strategies. He's going to make sure you put that money away. He's going to make sure you invest. He's going to make sure that your financial future is stabilized and secure for generations to come. Reach out to him on Instagram. That's E-L-V-I-E-R-O-S-S on Instagram. Or reach out to him also at Ross Wealth Strategies. One more bit of news for you guys. For all my people looking for a home, an apartment, a new place to live, reach out to my good friend Renee. She is a real estate agent, and she is doing it real, real big. Listen, reach out to her right now. Her office number is 516-328-8600. She's going to make sure that you get your brand new apartment. She'll make sure you get your brand new house. If you want to sell, she could do that too. She's got you covered in every aspect. So once again, that's HaasPrayer.com for your web development and web platforming needs. Rothwell Strategies for your financial advisement, and Renee Chanel on Instagram, 516-328-8600 for all your real estate situations. Yeah, man, it's your boy Sean Hubbard, and we are back. Founder, CEO, and host of this podcast and website. We We have got a lot of things going right now. So fired up. For this episode because my guest on this particular day on NXT TakeOver Toronto Day is a good friend of mine. He's doing some amazing things over at Everything Pro Wrestling. Just reached 500 subscribers real fast, by the way. Like, that's a big number. And and he's doing it real big over there, Everything Pro Wrestling. He's got the t-shirt situation going, the merchandise situation going. He's got the podcast he, he's a brand new dad. Like, he's got it all rolling right now. But like I said, he's a good friend of mine. I call him a bro. And he's right here to discuss WrestleMania 9. Yokozuna versus Bret Hart. The Mega Maniacs versus Ted DiBiase and IRS. One of the most controversial pay-per-views in history, y'all, as it pertains to the behind-the-scenes stuff. We're going to talk about everything right here and right now. Welcome with me, my guest, Everything Pro Wrestling's own and a friend of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly. I'm talking about Conrad. What's up, man? Welcome back. Sean, what's good, man? Feels good to be back. Uh, always enjoy doing your show. I feel like we always get into these retro classics. The only thing that hurt me was watching this show. But other than that, 
Um, everything else is good. That's what's up, man. So, yeah, man, we're talking about WrestleMania 9, man. And I'll tell you what, there's been so much controversy and speculation and talk about this particular show. Um, do you remember the buildup? Because the buildup was kind of corny, just like this pay-per-view was kind of corny. So, I mean, I guess the whole thing started. This was the first year that the WrestleMania main event was established by the winner of the Royal Rumble. Um, the previous year, Ric Flair won the title in the Royal Rumble. So, I guess powers that be in WWE decided that they would have the winner of the Royal Rumble move on to the main event of WrestleMania. Um, a very lackluster Royal Rumble in 1993. There was only two or three guys in the entire thing that could possibly win it. Possibly Flair. Possibly Perfect. Macho Man. And, of course, Yokozuna was the odds-on favorite. And he ended up winning the whole thing. Contract signings and... Just real, I don't know, man. Hogan comes on the scene to save Beefcake against Money. What do you think about the build-up to WrestleMania 9? Um, I, so there's some good and bad with this. And a lot of people got to remember that not everything was bad during this time. But they were starting to enter into a tough time. This was a, a little bit before 93, 94 is when the business started to take a, a downturn a little bit, too. Because of the steroid scandal that was going on. Um, everything with Vince McMahon's camp, with scandals with people on the ring crew. I can let you guys look that stuff up. I don't want to get into all the details of that. But lots of scandals happening at this time. Um, you mentioned the Royal Rumble. I absolutely love the idea that the winner got a title shot. And I think people our age, Sean, it's ingrained into our minds that if you win the Royal Rumble, you get to main event WrestleMania. Right. It's like the ultimate prize. That's the purpose of the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. And dare I say, I think that that stipulation made a lot of people love the Royal Rumble pay-per-view as much, if not more, than WrestleMania. Fair to say? I think it's fair to say. I mean, in the old days, um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Conrad and I are in our 30s, so we got a little bit of a jump start on the Young Bucks but we're just young enough to enjoy the new product, just old enough to remember the old product. Um, Hogan won back-to-back -back Rumbles in 90 and 91. There was really nothing more to it than him just winning the event. You know, Big John Studd won one, Hacksaw won one. Before the premise of the title being on the line, the title shot being on the line, do you think Ric Flair winning, you know, the Royal Rumble in 92 when the title was vacant, was kind of like a jump start for what happened the following year and, and henceforth? like, Or do you think it was just a, a happy coincidence? I think they needed something a little bit more to add pizzazz. I think Vince McMahon is always trying to outdo himself. And sometimes you run into a stagnant problem, kind of some of the problems of today. But he tries to outdo himself. And I still think, in my heart of hearts, the 1992 Royal Rumble is the greatest Royal Rumble of all time. Don't at me, bro. I don't want to hear it. No, I, I feel you. The best Royal Rumble. I feel you. They had the, they had star power in there. Every single person meant something. There were a few guys in there that you're like, oh, well, they're definitely not going to win. But at that time, dude, I thought maybe the British Bulldog could become the champ. Uh, you had the rumors of Bret Hart. Maybe Bret Hart will show up in the Royal Rumble. You had Ric Flair, um, Hulk Hogan, Sid Justice, Undertaker, Jake the Snake Roberts, Sergeant Slaughter, they had Iron Sheik in it. Like, anybody could have won that, and I think that... A young Shawn Michaels. After he just turned on Marty Jannetty. Yep. Oh, man. But 
Ted DiBiase was in it too. IRS. We're forgetting all the small time guys sometimes too. But they played a major role during that time in making you believe that anything could happen. And I think even Sherry was managed by DiBiase at this time too. Like, or Sherry was with DiBiase instead of Sean right before that even happened. That's a fact. That's a fact. Well, that transition well, it's happened. It's a good afterwards. show, man. It was. It was. So you know, you go from the star-studded Royal Rumble of 92 and I, I want to be clear about my stance Conrad I totally agree with you that the premise of the the title shot being on the line is a dope concept it continues to be 20 years later but as far as the product itself I think you're being a little bit kind about WWE dropping the ball because of extemporating circumstances you know what extemporating circumstances happen I'm not insensitive to it but I I feel like as fans especially at the time us being 10 or 11 year old fans possibly younger that it was like you know what we're suffering here because you have a royal rumble in 93 like i said where there were only three three guys that could possibly win a part-time randy savage a you know rick flair who eventually would leave the company the following night and yokozuna that was it maybe i'm playing off of my um I don't know what to call it, my young ignorance that maybe at the time. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that when we get into the 93 Rumble, that was bad. I mean, it had good graphics. We were going down a different road. If I asked you two years prior, would you have ever said Bret the Hitman Hart was going to be a champion in 1991? No, you're right. I would not. It, it, it was just absolute ludicrous to hear something like that. You're thinking this dude's in a tag team with Jim Neinhardt. Even a, almost a year prior, he was still in a tag team, and Bret Hart got elevated to the moon. The British Bulldog and the Ultimate Warrior got fired during that time period. Everything was in a mess. True. I just think that Vince couldn't he couldn't have the people he wanted, and he was forced to change his ways. And this was part of the growing process in changing his ways. And it really revolutionized the company, too, though, in the long term. Okay, I, I could I get with that. Um, we could agree to disagree on, on some of that, but I, I see where you're going with it. Can, so can, that... can we agree that the ending of the Royal Rumble was absolute horrible? We can agree on that, we, beyond a shadow of a doubt. That, that elbow drop and the Yoko kicks out and launches Macho Man over the top. Bro. In what world does Macho Man not remember that pinfalls don't count in the Royal Rumble? I, I well, In the 92 Rumble, he messed up too, though. He did, he did, he did. He jumps over the top. It's like, come on, Savage, what are you doing, bro? You know what, rest in peace to the legend Macho Man, but he's had a couple of Royal Rumble blunders. But it is what it is, man. I mean... Thank God he's the macho man and he can get away with things like that because he's super dope over the long haul. But that leads us to the following year or the following month, I should say, two months later or three months later, whatever it was, April 4th, 1993. And Macho Man's at the announced desk. Not really happy about that. Um, this The guy who would eventually become the future WCW champion, uh, WWE, I guess, decided it was pretty much over with and done for the macho man. So he's ringside with Bobby the Brain Heenan and a newcomer. Tell everybody the new face that appeared on commentary at WrestleMania 9. Uh, he's a man from Atlanta, Georgia at the time. Good old Jim Ross has finally joined the announce team. Jim Ross made the call. Um, one of your past guests, uh, Conrad Thompson, does a podcast with Jim Ross, and they actually go over all of this. And Jim Ross's story is kind of incredible for how he got to the WWE but um, during this time, I thought Jim Ross added a lot of, I don't want to compare him to Gordon. I guess I'm going to have to. A lot of, like, Gordon Soliisms. Like, he is actually going to call the matches. He gets some of his phrases in even during this. 
And I thought Jim Ross kind of just fit in well. It was kind of a clash of styles at first because of his WCW style versus the WWF style. But Jim Ross made it work. That's a fact. He made it work. And thank God that, you know, we got a chance to see, you know, what the future would hold um, down the line, the attitude era. But this was the first taste. And I remember watching this pay-per-view and thinking to myself, what the heck is JR doing in WWF? But it turns out it was one of the best decisions that he ever made. Uh, like, you make a good point. It was almost like a call that he made, making the overture towards Vince and the WWE. And the rest, as they say, is history. Even though he got fired about two or three times before, he kind of got settled in. You know, that's semantics. We won't ruin a good story with facts, right? Of course. So, we're here in Las Vegas, or as I said earlier, Paradise, Nevada, as it is technically called. We're at Caesars Palace, the very first uh, WWE pay-per-view, WrestleMania, that is, that was totally held outdoors. Um, I don't know, man. I, 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 I speak with a bit of hesitance about this pay-per-view, and, and I think that's what makes it so awesome to go over because there were so many times the ball was dropped, but at the same time, I guess, historically, it had to go down this way because of what the future would hold, but... We're talking about 1993. We're talking about the return of Hulk Hogan after a year-long absence. We're talking about Brutus Beefcake coming back, Money Inc. of the World Tag Team Champions, Bret the Hitman Hart, which seems to me, and I'm sure you would agree, it seems like it's a new era. Okay, Bret Hart is the world champion. We're trying to move on. We're trying to grow up. We're trying to get more sophisticated and realize that the times are changing. So Bret Hart versus Yokozuna. No problem. That main event is fine, right? But we know how this thing would play out. Let's go down the parameters of this card that had a lot of potential, but, well, I'll let the listeners be the judge of that, and we're going to talk about this a lot more in depth, Conrad. So in the dark match, a man who was 1-7 and seven going into this night, Tito Santana at WrestleMania, defeats Papa Chango. We don't have to go into great deal t- detail about this match, especially as there's very, very limited TV footage that you can look up about this match. But my question to you, Conrad, is does Tito Santana get a check mark in the win column for WrestleMania for wrestling in a dark match? So does he improve to two and seven or he, is he still one and seven in your mind? My rule is if I didn't see it, it didn't happen. <laughs> So, because I ordered, actually, I'll give the listeners a little fun fact here. I ordered this pay-per-view as a kid. Okay. I I have been known to historically buy bad pay-per-views, and you didn't think that at the time when you get it. Right. But this is my third pay-per-view I ever ordered. I think I started with WrestleMania 8, then I ordered Survivor Series 92, and then I think this was the next one I ordered. Right. So, I have uh, distinct memories of this, and this is not the opening contest that I remember. Okay, so I gotta so. agree with you. I gotta agree with you. Tito Santana remains uh, one in seven in WrestleMania history, even though I guess the fans in Vegas saw him defeat Papa Shango. We T- get it. Tito does deserve more respect, though. I think he doesn't get enough like acknowledgments by commentary and stuff anymore. He does. He 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 lacks in that, and it's a shame because he is a legend. Um, and I think you know, just talking a little bit about Tito's WrestleMania record, I I punch that every time I can because. Not to make fun of him, but to say it's how ridiculous it is. He won at WrestleMania 1, and he lost every WrestleMania he appeared at henceforth. And I guess it's because he just kind of evolved, or I guess you could say kind of got demoted into being 
a hand. I think he became a player coach. Right, maybe so, maybe so. Maybe so. That's a good assessment on your part. So the pay-per-view opens up with a very entertaining, um, I'll give them a credit for this, a very entertaining uh, walk to the ring by Cleo, uh, by oh, Cleo, oh my God, Cleopatra, excuse me, uh, and uh, oh my God, and Caesar, along with the elephant and Bobby the Rahimian coming down the wrong way with the camel, and you know, that was really funny, Macho Man comes out in the sedan, really dope stuff, Gorilla Monsoon is the host for the evening. And then we get into the in-ring action. Tatanka, undefeated Tatanka, who had defeated Shawn Michaels twice on television in non-title matches, uh, challenges HBK for the Intercontinental Championship. Sherry is predictably in Tatanka's corner due to Shawn Michaels uh, basically neglecting her when she got hit in the face with uh, the mirror by Marty Jannetty on Superstars. But in Shawn Michaels' corner is a very... I want to say familiar face, but definitely unfamiliar as it pertains to the WWE audience at the time. Talk to us about that. All right. Shawn Michaels was my favorite, by the way. Even when he turned on Marty Jannetty and all that, Shawn Michaels was always my favorite wrestler. Nice. So I absolutely love this match. I remember this match, sitting there watching it, um, back when you used to have the cable boxes to order the pay-per-views. Oh, yes. And Luna Vachon makes her debut. Uh, Luna is, she is not the, um, what's the word? She's not easy on the eyes, let's just say. She right. looks like a wrestler from back in the day. Agreed. Uh, she's got the shaved side heads. I don't know if those were tattoos or just makeup on the side of her head. And did they say on commentary she was Miss Ontario, was it? Miss Ontario. And in Bobby the Brain Heenan's words, she's a fox. She's a knockout. <laughs> All right, Bobby. Bobby always played to the heels. There you go. But, um, yeah, it was just interesting to see Sean with Luna. If I can give my personal assessment on it, Please. I think Sean fit better with Sherry. Oh, no I did question. not like this pairing as much as Sean and Sherry, but that's just me personally. No, that's not just you personally. I think that's a lot of people personally. I think it was a situation that was very weird. But I think that it also was a situation where... They were just trying to set the stage for a rivalry that I don't think ever materialized, which was Luna versus Sherry. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's how it kind of just got thought out is, okay, we'll just put Luna in HBK's corner, and then, you know, they can do what they do, and then it can lead to a match down the line, which obviously it never did, but whatever. So, again, I've been very critical of this pay-per-view, um, and, and, and the problem is not the potential of the match quality, but the endings of these matches, there were so many peculiar things that happened. Now, Tatanka wins this match, a very good match on paper, and a very good match in the ring. But he wins this match by countout, but the ref doesn't call for the bell right away. So when Tatanka hits that fallaway slam finisher and has Michaels pinned, the referee calls for the bell then which is weird because he should have called for the bell 20 or 30 seconds earlier. Like, talk to us, man. I have in this in my notes, I feel like you just read from my notes a little bit here. Um, I put HBK in this match was bumping around like Ric Flair, mm -hmm. and I thought he did a good job. Sean always reminded me of like a Ric Flair-Tully Blanchard combo with everything he did. People probably didn't see it back then, but in the early stages, I'm like, oh, he does a lot of Ric Flair-like stuff, and I like it. Now, the countouts and DQ finishes all night absolutely ruined this show. 
and this is a problem with pay-per-views of the eras that we've covered so far, me and you at least, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's just a... I feel like when you pay money for a pay-per-view, and this goes for boxing, MMA, and I know we can relate to all this, I want to see a finish. I don't want to see something that's like, oh, give me your money again next time, and maybe we'll see it. Let let the grudge match tell it, or let, let the story play out, and if people want it, they're going to want it again. Exactly. I don't like when they try to force you to want it. Right. And that's what I just felt like they did all night with these. The near falls had me worried. Um, in all honesty, as a kid, I wanted Sean to win this, but I wouldn't have been surprised if Tataka won it. Mm-hmm. Tataka had a lot of steam, and if you guys know anything about the backstory for this, uh, I, I don't know who shoot interview it was. I believe it was Tatanka's that I saw, where he said he was told he was going to win the Intercontinental title. Wow. But during wow. that time, Shawn Michaels was starting to get a little clout, and he kind of complained and said, well, why shouldn't I be the champ? And Shawn was starting to lobby for him and maybe Marty Jannetty to continue a storyline. Now, it's funny you bring that up, because wasn't Marty Jannetty originally supposed to be on this show, but Marty got himself in a little bit of trouble? Yes. All right. So, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, You want another fun fact of the show? I would like as many fun facts as you got for me, man. Do you know about the Macho Man Randy Savage pitch storyline for this? I do, I do. I heard that Macho wanted HBK in like a two-year rundown, right? Yes. Wow. Sean cracks a bottle of champagne over his head after he wins the Intercontinental title, and the Macho Man Randy Savage would uh, try to defeat him. He would get one win over him, and then Sean would eventually come out on top in this feud, despite how many ever matches they had, maybe two or three matches. And I thought that was an interesting way to put it, but Vince did not want to use the Macho Man in that role at the time. So just little fun facts for you guys. Well, that's a fun fact, and I give you credit for that because I've heard that as well, and it's been confirmed time and time again. I got a fun rumor about why Vince wasn't really happy with Savage at this point. Um and why Savage, God rest his soul, never returned to WWE in any way, shape, or form until, unfortunately, he passed and then was put in the Hall of Fame afterwards. A little rumor about how Macho was messing with Stephanie? That's the rumor. I mean, I'm saying on the air, it's just a rumor. I have zero confirmation. But wow. I mean, wow. That's, that's, that, that's a crazy... A crazy thought. But anyway, for whatever reason, Vince was not keen on Macho returning to the ring. At least not full-time. Like I said, you made a little cameo at Survivor Series. Made a little cameo at, uh, you know, Royal Rumble. But other than that, he was on the he was on the microphone, and that was it. Yeah. So, Tatanka wins. Which, as an adult, looking back on it in hindsight, Tatanka remains undefeated. Shawn Michaels remains Intercontinental Champion. Everybody kind of wins here, except Sherry, who got the crap kicked out of her. Talk to us about that. (laughs) This goes back to what you said, man. It looked like Sherry and Luna were going to start something here, but it never really materialized into anything. And my mind's a little bit foggy for what happens after this. Is Sherry gone from the company not too long after this? Sherry is gone not too long after this to start her heat, her her uh, run with Ric Flair and then eventually Harlem Heat. It wouldn't be until about a year later, but Sherry would have very limited TV time on WWE. I don't even think she made it to another Monday Night Raw after this WrestleMania. I think it was a wrap pretty much afterwards. Yeah, Sherry kind of just finished up here. I did not like Sherry in the babyface role. I always thought she just fit the classic heel. Um... 
I don't know. Sherry's character just didn't evolve enough for me during this time. Like I, like I said, I loved her in WCW. Even when she first came back there, she was a heel with Flair, and then she became Sister Sherry. And that's something that I was like, okay, I can get behind that. But during this time, Sherry is a baby face coming out with like all those colorful colors on. It reminded me when she was like the woman's champ in the 80s, and I'm just like, ah, it's not working for me. That's a fact. Nah. That's a fact. It, it just wasn't It wasn't going to flow for me either. But I liked the, I mean, I think she was a face with Harlem Heat, but she was like a down and dirty, like stone cold kind of face. Like it was like, you know, anti-hero when, when Booker T and Stevie Ray were really hitting on all cylinders in 94, 95. But yeah, you're right. I, I didn't really like it. Nothing materialized between Sherry and Vashon, and, and that was pretty much it. So we move forward into the card, and we have the Steiner brothers, two two newcomers, two newcomer teams, I should say, to the WWE. Uh, the Head Shrinkers made their pay-per-view debut in 92's Survivor Series with a victory over High Energy. The Steiner brothers made their WWE pay-per-view debut against the Beverly brothers and were successful there. And that leads these two upcoming teams, up-and-coming teams, at least to the WWE audience. Everybody know that the Steiners and uh, the Samoan SWAT team were highly decorated in their WCW days. But the WWE audience were still getting used to these guys. And they face off at WrestleMania 9. Talk to us about it. Um, the Head Shrinkers, if you guys don't know, that is Samu and Fatu. And Fatu may sound familiar to you because he later on became... Rikishi Fatu. Yes, sir. And I believe Samu is the father of, is it Roman Reigns? And um, I I believe so. I believe so. I'm not sure. Uh, Rosie, there it goes. I couldn't okay. think of his name for a second. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so Samu is the father of them. And then t- who would think the Steiner brothers would go on to become like Big Papa Pump Scott Steiner? And <laughs> just craziness when you look at all of this. Unbelievable. And there's another familiar face in this match. The referee. A lot of people may not recognize it, but it is ECW's famous manager, Bill Alfonso, the man who calls it right down the middle. That's right. Is the referee for this match. Um, just really good stuff here. I, I kind of enjoyed this match. I thought that this show started off with two of the better matches on the entire card here. Um, I, I really like this one, and I have to give Scott Steiner a lot of credit. If you ever wanted to see how athletic this guy was, um, look no further than his Steiner brother days. Absolutely hits a beautiful Frankensteiner for the uh, W in this one. Really good stuff, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. I thought this match didn't let us down. I thought that the head shrinkers performed well. I thought Afa with his interference from the outside was a nice little twist. I like how the Steiner brothers went over. Even though the head shrinkers going over wouldn't have bothered me because I thought the head shrinkers would go on to great things as we know they become tag team champions in 94. But, um... The Steiner brothers were on their way to being champions later on that year, and they would eventually become two-time WWE champions, WWE tag team champions, uh, going back and forth with Money Incorporated. But, um, yeah, it was cool. I, I had that in my notes, too. I absolutely love that feud. It was awesome. It was awesome. The Steiner brothers were, were wrestling, you know what I'm trying to say? And and they meshed very well with the head shrinkers. They meshed even better with Money Incorporated. Um, one of their title reigns was, like, at a house show. And then they lost them back two days later. But WWE does acknowledge those title changes. So the Steiner brothers are two-time. Even though some people only remember one, they are two-time WWE Tag Team Champions. So, um, and this was kind of their jumpstart. Again, they beat the uh, Beverly Brothers at Rumble 93. Went on to defeat the Head Shrinkers at WrestleMania 93. And then they were off to the races. Um, Doink the Clown. 
one of the most endearing superstars in history for the kids. But people don't always remember that Doink started off as a heel. And he faces the former World Tag Team Champion. What are you talking about, Sean? World Tag Team Champion. Yes. Crush. Demolitions Crush. But no face paint. Now he's wearing orange and the colors of Hawaii. That Crush is now a singles guy. And he's going up against Doink the Clown in a one-on-one contest at WrestleMania 9. Uh, Talk to the people, Conrad. Why? Why were they doing this? This is horrible. So bad. So, let me say this. I think back then, somebody, number one, had a fear of clowns, and they thought it was hilarious. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Someone probably didn't like clowns. It's probably Bruce Pritchard or somebody, and Vince thought it was hilarious. So we're going to come up with a clown character that you're going to have to deal with all the time or something. Heel Doink wasn't bad. Matt Bourne is an excellent wrestler. If yes. you guys wanted to know who the original Doink was. Yes. Um, he Mani- would, Maniac Matt Bourne, that's right. Yeah, he would later on not be Doink for too long because he would end up having to deal with his own um, demons, we'll call them. And he ended up moving on to different wrestling companies. But at the same token, I look at Crush. Crush is someone who I thought the WWF would get behind. He's a big man. He's got the size. He looks natural. He didn't look like he was juiced up. He just looked like he was a really big dude that you didn't want to mess with. Right. And they tried to give him this gimmick. I think, number one, even as a kid, I was like, yo, isn't that crush from Demolition? You can see it on his face. (laughs) So I was like, okay, whatever. Now, I look at the colors. This dude comes out. He looks like, um, I can't remember the pack. What was the pack of gum? With the zebra on it. Like, he's got way too many colors. Oh, we're talking about bazooka. No, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't it wasn't wanna... bazooka, but okay. there was a gum with, like, a zebra on it that had all these colors in it. And I'm like, bro, what is this dude wearing? He's wearing, uh, what was it, purple, yellow, orange. I'm like, way too much color, Representing bro. Hawaii, I guess. Too much. Too much Hawaii, then. <laughs> exactly. And the worst of the worst, his finisher, bro. This man used to crush people's heads. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're talking about the greatest finisher. Forget the sharpshooter. Forget, forget, sweet chimney. The greatest finisher of all time? You didn't like it? If you guys can see my hand over my face right now, (laughs) I just moved as he was saying that. Dude, this finisher is bad. If you don't know what it is, you can type in um, Royal Rumble on, like, Sega Genesis and just go to Crush's – just type in Crush's finisher. Yep. It's awful. He just squeezes your head, sits you down on your butt and keeps squeezing, and then they just call for the bell. That's it. What is this? That's it. It's supposed to be him crushing your head. That was so stupid. We didn't even get into what happens in this match. Now – Doinks in this and the fake arm stuff, dude. Wow. Yo. Unbelievable. Yo. I Sean, I gotta kick it back to you, bro. I can't even look at my notes and read this right now. It, it was it was so bad on so many levels, and, and Doink would go on to better things as a face, but this was the this was the climax of his heel run, and basically it was him, I guess, deceiving crush, but a blind man could have seen what was going on from the tenth Row and trip and row triple Z like it, it it was so stupid on so many levels. Doink, a second Doink comes from under the ring and 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 he takes a fake arm off and he hits him over the head and batteries start flying out and then he wins the match by pinfall and then he goes back under the ring but because we're in Vegas and Bobby Heenan talks about David Copperfield, the second Doink disappears. 
the referees, Alfonso, and I believe it was, uh, um, oh my goodness, God rest his soul, um, Gorilla Monsoon's son uh, is the referee, and they're like, there were two of them. I know there were two of them, and they're miming the number two in really dramatic, over-the-top fashion. It was so bad. Oh bad God. is bad is not the word, man. Bad is not the word. I just didn't like how this came off. Um, I just don't know, man. Wasn't Skinner the other doink too for this or something? I believe. I, I believe Skinner played played doink at one point in his career. Yes. I, no, I think he was the second doink in this match. He didn't right. wrestle, but he was the other doink who okay. came out. Okay, so he was, I, he was the backup. I got you. I got you. Yeah, I don't know what his role in the company was at this time. He might have been transitioned to backstage, but right. But oh my goodness! And by the way, Joey Morello was the referee. He was knocked out. So Alfonso comes out. There were two guys. I swear there were two guys. Yeah, no kidding. The whole world saw it was two guys, and it was bad on every level. Wow! Didn't they look under the ring and nobody was there? Too? They looked under the ring. Nobody was there. Bobby the Brain Heaton, in his infinite comedic wisdom, oh, it's Las Vegas. It's just an illusion. Which, by the way, was pretty pretty darn funny. But still. It, no, no, Bobby the Brain Heenan humor could save how bad this segment was. Yeah, yeah, that's. All right. I, I got no words, bro. Yeah, and then, and then we go from bad to worse because we're talking about one of the greatest superstars in history. Actually, two of the greatest superstars in history, just different eras. Scott Hall, aka Razor Ramon, versus Bob Backlund, and I'm gonna tell you why. And I'm going to throw it back to you. I'm going to tell you why I'm so disgusted with this match. Because I've heard rumors. And I know from basically speak, uh, listening to different podcasts and doing my own personal research. Um, Bob Backlund is not a politician by any stretch. When it comes to, you know, I know people saying he is a politician. I don't mean it like that. A politician backstage, I mean. He's not one of those guys from what I've heard. But he didn't want to take the razor's edge. There was a rumor going around that Bob Backlund did not want to take the razor's edge. There was a feeling that he was uncomfortable with the, the danger possibilities. So, Razor wins. Well, I'll let you tell the world how he wins. Oh, God. Yo, as fast as I'm about to explain this was how fast this match was. Oh. Bob Backlund at the time is 43 years old. Now, Bob Backlund's still a beast, by the way. He is. Like, the... Those um, I don't even those lunges that he does, like the moving around lunges. The dude's a beast. He can lunge better than me. Right, which is I'm why sorry. I didn't want to. You know, I didn't want to downplay the two guys in the match are two Hall of Famers. Like, don't get it twisted. Yeah, I just I just wanted people to know Bob Backlund's age for yeah. the fact of maybe that's why he didn't want. It. He's forty three years old, man. He's not trying to break his neck. Okay, well you're, you're being you're being nice, but okay, I, I guess we can go with that. Uh, I, I'm just saying, as an old timer, some of the old timers don't want to take some of those moves. Like I've heard old timers flip out about the Canadian destroyers and stuff we see today. So I'm like, all right, maybe he thought it was a little unsafe. All right, fair maybe. enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, Razor ends up getting the win in this lackluster match with a small package. Now, when I think of Razor Ramon, I don't think of some, like, technical wizard. I may say that in my, like, WWE, like, 2K streams or Fire Pro streams playing the video game. When I say, like, the technical wizardry of Scott Hall just did an amazing move. Mm -hmm. He's no wizard, man. He wins with a small package against Bob Backlund. It just felt like... Ugh. You know what I mean? I know he just came off of a WWF championship match at the last pay-per-view. Yes, he was the main event at the last pay-per-view. He didn't win. 
and now he's here kind of in the mid-card. And there's another match similar to this later on in the card when we get to it. Uh-huh. That it's just like, why is he in this spot? We could have did something so much better than this. Most definitely. And and I, I kid you not, Razor would go on to great things. Bob Backlund had accomplished great things and would accomplish more great things. People, I, well, I don't, I don't forget, and I know you don't forget, but some people might forget. Bob Backlund, this little nostalgic, you know, 43-year-old comeback thing, it evolved into a world title run in 94. So Bob Backlund was doing his thing. It, it wasn't the wrestlers. It was just the storytelling. Like, my God. Like, even as a kid, I'm like, what is going on here? Razor. But but I will say this. This was a turning point in Razor's career because I think if you can think back about this match, this is around the time where people started liking Razor. Even though he was a heel, you could hear some cheering going on for Razor in that match, you know? When Razor comes out, Razor Ramon looks like the coolest flipping dude that you want to see. There are very few wrestlers in life who I say when I look at them that they're cool and they're like hip. Like I can see that they're with it. Like they can say something that's like today. Yeah, Razor. Some of the wrestlers try to make cool jokes. You're like, oh, that's like from three years ago, but I'll let it rock, you know. But Razor was cool back then, man. Yeah, Razor was smooth, man, and I and I wouldn't have had a problem with him being champion. But we all know. The story behind that, and well, there's, it's very much back and forth about why Razor never became champion. Uh, some say it was bad promoting, bad booking. Some say it was Razor kind of bringing, him, bringing it on himself, where he might have had a run, but he was distracted with other things. But either way, you know, it all came full circle for him. He may not go down as a former WWE or WCW champion, but he is a well-deserved Hall of Famer, as is Bob Backlund. And wow, just... Two Hall of Famers in the biggest show of the year, and pfft, that's all I can say. So, um, just just no good. But everything should be all right now because it's time for one half of the double main event. We should be – look, we've had disappointments with Doink and Crush. We've had disappointments with the finish of Tatanka Shawn Michaels. We've had disappointments with Razor and Bob Backlund, but now it's time – for the World Tag Team Championship, it's time for Money Incorporated to get their comeuppance against B- Beefcake and Hulk Hogan and a newly transformed Jimmy Hart who's seen the light and the Mega Maniacs and Money Inc. And you can talk about it now. Money Inc. <laughs> the Tag Team Champions. I'm so upset. I don't know what, why Jimmy Hart left them. Jimmy Hart seemed way worse dastardly acts than what was going on that night on Raw. Yeah. And I don't know what Jimmy... Jimmy Hart, you saw Earthquake sit on a snake and then make snake burgers, bro. What is the problem uh, with this? And for anybody who's listening out there, uh, Conrad knows I was being sarcastic. But just in case somebody wasn't sure I was being sarcastic, yes, I was being very sarcastic. Oh, they're going to know as soon as we talk about this. <laughs> So, this is a weird feeling because Hulk Hogan's not in the main event. And I think this is the first time in WrestleMania history. Yep. Hogan's not in the main event match. Well, technically, he wasn't in the main event of, of four, but he, he kind of got in there somehow, way. You know how that goes. Right. Part of the yeah. tournament. And history will repeat itself again, but we'll save that for later. Yep. So, Hogan comes out. He is sporting a black eye. Now, oh, when I was boy. doing my research for this match. Are we uh, going to talk about it, friend, Colorado? Are we going to talk about it? Let's go. Yeah. My best friend happened to come over during this time. And I don't know what the real story is, why. But I just remember him coming into the room and he said, yo, what happened to that dude's eye? Mm-hmm. Tell me right now why Hogan's eye looks like that. And I'm like, oh, 
His was a jet ski. Am I correct on that, Sean? It's it's a jet ski accident, according to what WWE F- tells us. Yes. Finger quotes. Yes. Exactly. Jet ski accident. Um, do you know the backstory on what actually happened with it? I know the backstory of what I think actually happened and what many people theorize actually happened. Well, put it down for him. Put it down for him. All right. So basically, according to folklore, and and some people confirm. Macho Man Randy Savage and Hogan have had some issues on and off camera. Um, they've gotten together. They've reconciled. They've broken up as brothers or whatever you want to call it. The mega powers formation, depletion, deletion, whatever you want to call it. Shout out to Matt Hardy. But at the end of the day, uh, WrestleMania 9, I guess they're in Vegas or at least on their way to Vegas. And Macho Man had some notions that there was a possible affair going on between Hogan and Miss Elizabeth. And according to some, punched Hogan in the face. And that's how he got the black eye. Again, only a rumor. Macho Man's not here. God rest his soul to tell the story. Elizabeth's not here. God rest her soul to tell the story. Hogan probably would never even talk about it anyway. But that's what was out there, that Macho Man punched Hogan in the face. Yeah, you can't believe anything that comes out of Hogan's mouth anyway. Exactly. Um, and especially during these days. Um, so I want to get into the other team real quick because we could talk about the Booty Man, Brother Brutai, oh the Disciple, God. uh, the what was he, the Zodiac, whatever you want to call this man. Oh, God, I know him and Hogan go way back, but I've always felt like Brutus Beefcake was in spots because of Hogan. Oh my God, Br- Brutus got carried on Hogan's back his entire career. Listen, and that's no disrespect to uh, Brutus Beefcake. I just no, it's disrespect to Brutus Beefcake. <laughs> it's disrespect to Brutus Beefcake. I'll, I'll thing, say, though, Sean, I think Brutus Beefcake can he can carry himself in the ring. I just don't think he's at that level, though. Brutus Beefcake was was Hogan's friend, and look, the bottom line is this: no matter how talented he was, I'm sh- he wasn't the void of talent, but. He would not have been World Tag Team Champions in 87 had it not been for Hogan. Or, excuse me, 86 going into 87. He would have not been... Uh, the Bru- the Brutus character was Hogan's idea, from what I understand. The the beefcake aspect, I mean. Him turning uh, face at WrestleMania 3. Helping out uh, Roddy Piper for no reason. Like, what? Why? Like, ex- what, what, what? No reason, okay? And then... Intercontinental Championship picture, now in the main event of WrestleMania 9. Yeah, don't get me started. Yeah, and I always think he was he was supposed to have an Intercontinental title run, too. Yeah, he would have uh, won, I think, against Perfect if he hadn't got... Now, that's unfortunate. I'm not making fun of that. He got hurt in legit, legitimately in the Parasite accident. But that would have... I mean, Hogan's influence... And again, like, you know, you're my boy. I'm going to look out for you. But come on, man. Like, please, please. You're taking food off of other people's tables. Listen, man, nobody's ever looked out for me like that. There and that go. would be the day, bro. I would love it. but Exactly. So, anyway, forget Brutus Beefcake for a second. Let's talk about Ted DiBiase and Erwin R. Scheister, IRS, a.k.a. Mike Rotundo for you WCW fans. It was good to see Mike Rotundo in this spot. I think he is one of the most underappreciated wrestlers of this era. He always had solid work. He made a crappy kind of gimmick work, too. Mm-hmm. The The whole IRS gimmick was kind of corny in retrospect, right. but he made it work. He did. And the Million Dollar Man, I felt like he was in kind of that 
they're starting to phase him out stage, but they still respect him a lot for what he did. Right. And probably because he never got the title run he deserved to. Agreed. But DiBiase came in and he was, I still think he was money during this time, no pun intended. He did a really good job in this. Um, so we got Shades of WrestleMania 4 from the 1988 matchup with Hogan and DiBiase. I like the story that was kind of portrayed in there with that. Maybe I'm just telling myself that to make sense of this match. But um, at one point, they did the classic. Uh, Money, Inc. says, you know what? Forget this. We're getting counted out because we haven't seen enough countouts already on this show. So Money, Inc. starting to go out for the countout. And the referee makes a decision saying if Money, Inc. gets counted out, they will lose their tag team titles. And Money, Inc. has to scramble and run back into the ring to hang on to their belts. Um, it, it gets really crazy throughout this match, and I'm going to just kick it to you so you can uh, get back into this a little bit. What did you think of the finish for this? I mean, the finish was horrible, man. <laughs> the finish was horrible. I mean, you got you got Hogan and, 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 and you got Beefcake, and they're, they're going back and forth. Hogan tags out. He gets the hot tag. He comes in for the save. Um, at certain points during the match, the referee's back was turned for so long that Beefcake gets to come into the ring. And put on the sleeper to knock DiBiase out. So DiBiase and Hogan are knocked out. Hogan makes the hot tag. Then two seconds later, Hogan... This is all really, really Bush League stuff for me. And then towards the end of the match, Hogan is uh, trying to help Beefcake. Because Beefcake had his protective mask ripped off by Money Incorporated. To the point where Hogan then takes that mask off and hits IRS, hits DiBiase... They both cover Money Incorporated. The referee's been knocked out. Jimmy Hart happens to have on a jacket where the inside of the jacket are white and black pinstripes, a.k.a. referee color. So he flips the jacket inside out. He does a quick count on Money Incorporated. They proclaim themselves the World Tag Team Champions. The fans, even in 93, are smart enough to realize that this is not going to stand because the crowd reaction was mediocre at best as it pertains to them allegedly winning the tag team titles in that moment the second referee comes down danny davis and disqualifies him it was it was it was so bad it was so do you hear the emotion in my voice it was so bad i was just gonna interrupt you to say my thoughts boo (laughs) (laughs) i mean this is a pay-per-view a main event of a of the biggest pay-per-view of the year. And you have this hokey-pokey, uh, random referee comes in. They count themselves the winners. The referee reverses the decision. I mean, good Lord, man. Like, it was so bad, so poorly executed, so poorly thought out. Money, Inc. retains the tag team championships. By the way, rightfully so. They should have won the tag team titles, should have retained the tag team titles, but in a much better fashion. And then Hogan gives DiBiase's money away and whatever. It was, oh, God. Even as a kid, I'm like, this doesn't feel right, man. Yeah, it was just odd. I didn't like it. It takes the briefcase with the money, starts handing the money out. You know, Hogan kept most of that, too, by the way. He was only handing out one bill at a time. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. I just wonder what happened to the rest of that money, brother. Brother, yeah. (laughs) Good Lord. You know, and as somebody who was a Hogan guy back in the day, like, looking back, hindsight being 2020, man, was he a rough person. Like, he, he had some ways about him. 
And man, like, as we'll talk about a little later on as it pertains to the world title, unbelievable. I, I don't even... Oh, well, were you a Hogan guy during this time, or did you fall kind of out of love with the whole character? I was still a Hogan guy. I was still a Hogan guy, and believe it or not, and as sad as it is to say, the main event we'll talk about later, I was happy with it at the time as an eight-year-old kid. That's what I'm trying to say. As an eight-year-old kid, I was happy. As a man in my 30s, I'm no longer, I mean, I'm, Sean now is very disappointed in eight-year-old Sean back then. <laughs> let's, just, let's just put it that way. Does that make sense? Yes, perfect sense. So, you know, Money, Inc., whatever, retains the World Tag Team Championships in one half of the double main event of WrestleMania. Not big deal. Anyway, and I know you, I'm, I know the people listening right now are like, Sean, you're really fired up. You're daggone right I'm fired up because I paid allowance money for this pay-per-view, and I'm, I'm still mad about it all these years later. Refund, refund. <laughs> Super facts, man. Shout out to my mom and dad who only made me give up five dollars and they paid the rest, but still, that's five dollars. Yes. Oh man. Anyway, they retain the tag belts and we move on to another high profile match of the evening. Um, Lex Luger, the narcissist, who would eventually become made in the USA and have an extended run as a world championship contender, uh, would face the you know just surefire Hall of Fame, pristine, um, classic wrestler, Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect. Um, take it over, Conrad. How'd you feel about the match? Um, another hokey pokey, weird finish, but not as bad as the others. Uh, you know what? I put this on kind of par with the Money Inc. minus the finish. Um, actually, I hate it. This is weird too, though. So we got Lex Luger. He's finally in the World Wrestling Federation. I'm eager to see what he can do because in WCW, I actually kind of like Lex Luger a little bit. Okay. Not just the look, but I always just thought he had this kind of charisma about him that I was just like, okay, he's an interesting dude. Mm -hmm. We come to find out he actually is that uh, narcissist that he was playing at the time. And that was his character, too. He was just the narcissist. I think there was a problem with the name, and they were trying to make sure they could use Lex Luger. Right. They would say it, but they wouldn't say it too often. Agreed. Agreed. And Mr. Perfect, let me say this. Mr. Perfect as a babyface does not work for me. No? I don't like Mr. Perfect as a babyface. Ah, okay. I know what they were trying to do to get him over as far as Oh, he turned on Flair and everything else. I don't. I think Mr. Perfect's character is just a heel character. Well, being, um, being perfect and pro proclaiming yourself perfect is is heel in itself. Yeah, yeah, but so it just didn't work for me. Right. But Mr. Perfect is an excellent wrestler, and he could carry anybody. Yes. And this is one of the rare occasions to where it just didn't work this night. Um, it wasn't working for Luger, I think, with the WWF style in this match. Luger just could not get it to flow nicely in the ring like a power slam. Transitions were kind of wonky a little bit. Uh-huh. He, he just looked like he was lost in the ring. But you and know, Lex, Luger, Lex Luger's never been able to take a bump a day in his life. Yeah, but I, I just think that his match just didn't work in here. I don't know if it was the different ring size or whatever. And you would think Perfect would be able to help carry him because Perfect can go in there and work a broomstick and it would be a good match. Right, right, right. But in this instance, it just didn't work. And the finish. I'll just get right to it. I did not like this finish. I thought it was creative at the time when I was a kid, and it was one of those things. It sounded better probably in the creative room. Right, that's why I was. At, I, I was. That's what I'm saying. Like it wasn't as bad as as the previous. Like it wasn't great, but it wasn't horrible. But you 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 don't agree. You think it's pretty bad. 
it just made the ref look super like egregious because how did you not see that? No matter what angle you were at, I just kept thinking in my head, I'm like, what kind of referee wouldn't see this? Like the man's feet are caught in the ropes. They're super close to the ropes. Right. You're not looking to see if maybe his foot got caught or he put his foot on the rope. I don't know. I just didn't like that. But Luger ends up getting the victory because Mr. Perfect's feet got stuck under the ropes. So he could not kick out of the backslide. Luger needed the win. And I, I don't know. I was surprised they didn't push Mr. Perfect more with him getting rid of uh, Ric Flair and we would later go on to see him have some really good matches, even as a babyface against um, other superstars later on. And I won't ruin it in case you do those reviews. Right. But I just expected a little bit more out of Mr. Perfect for this night, and it just didn't work. Well, I think they were trying to push the Lex Luger thing he, earlier in the afternoon. And there is some very limited but clear footage of the WrestleMania brunch that took place where Lex Luger did knock out Bret Hart during the WrestleMania brunch. That, that footage does ex- exist on YouTube, so check it out. But they were trying to, you know, kind of run that point home where Lex Luger was a knockout artist, I think is the word that, the, the phrase that Bobby the Brain Heenan used. So, but instead of using that for the win, you know, like I said, this herky-jerky finish where, you know, Lex's feeder or perfect feeder in the work, work uh, ropes and then he, he turns out where Luger wins the match in shady fashion the referee just doesn't look up to see it as Conrad accurately pointed out um, after the match is over as perfect is complaining about the ridiculous finish uh, Luger knocks out perfect with the, the bionic forearm um, I don't know it, it is what it is a little bit of backstage footage which was pretty cool talk about that yeah, Mr. Perfect and Lex Luger end up having like a post-match brawl, kind of in the, um, I guess the best way to put it is like a studio parking lot kind of, mm-hmm. to where people could, you know, put their equipment and stuff if they're putting on a show, right. and they're just back there fighting and brawling, and this is kind of early stages of seeing stuff that we would grow accustomed to on Monday Night Raw in a few years, probably I'd say three to four years later, we would see this all the time, mm-hmm. but seeing it back then was kind of cool. It was it was kind of a little like this isn't so bad. Yeah, it wasn't bad. And then Shawn Michaels jumps in. Now to me it was weird because Shawn Michaels jumped in, but then he he wouldn't stop. Like he beat the crap out of Mister Perfect, and it's almost like Perfect didn't even touch you. Like why are you so mad? <laughs> right, and th- and this is going to lead to the next big pay per view. I mean, I shouldn't say King of the Rings not big, but this would lead to where they were trying to go to next. For Mr. Perfect to get back into the Intercontinental title picture. Exactly. Exactly. Um, good idea. Poorly thought out. Poorly executed. Um, and speaking of poorly executed, let's talk about the next match. Oh, God. Oh, good Lord. The legendary. Let me start by saying the legendary, the historic, the phenom, the one of the greatest of all time. One of the greatest of all time. Possibly Mount Rushmore, if not... Definitely in the top seven or eight to ever live, The Undertaker, okay? You heard me? I'm giving The Undertaker respect. This is not a diss on The Undertaker. But, quite possibly one of the worst matches in WrestleMania history. Against Giant Gonzalez, with Harvey Whippleman. (sighs) CK, just do what you can do. What is Giant Gonzalez wearing? That's the first thing I have in my notes. (laughs) What what is this outfit? And I used to have. Did you used to have the little uh, Hasbro action figures? I did, I did. Bro, I had a giant Gonzalez one. 
What were my parents thinking when they were buying these at the I, time? I don't know. I guess they knew that we were wrestling fans, so they just saw a wrestling figure and said, hey, Merry Christmas. That's the only thing I could think of. Uh, dude, it was bad, man. So he came, he would come out in like this Manitar outfit, and he had the hair coming up the sides, hair covering his privates, but then he looked like a kind of god under this. Yeah. If you've ever watched WCW prior to this, you would know the man as El Gigante. Bro, he does not look like this at all underneath any of this. Not even close. And he's actually a former NBA basketball player for the Atlanta Hawks. Mm-hmm. Just got to throw that out there. Wow, so that's a good fact. I watch sports too. That's a good fact. I didn't know that. Yes. So he um, he was just too big, I think, for wrestling. Not saying that the guy did a horrible job or he went out there to try and do it. He's just too big um, trying to maneuver out there with Taker. And I don't know if he fully got what he was supposed to try to do. It, it, like I said, it was rough for him. Harvey Whippleman, I don't know, man. I, I don't know what you were doing on the outside. I just feel bad for you and Paul Bear because you were part of this too. I mean, Harvey Whippleman was part of the storyline to begin with because The Undertaker destroyed Kamala. And this and Giant Gonzalez was was Harvey Whippleman's pet project to get. Oh, the so they went the stable route with this. Well, not not really the stable route because because as you remember, um, well, I, I meant like Whippleman's guys. Yes, like, yes, 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 yes. Kamala because Kamala would go off the scene and wouldn't return until a few months later as a face with with Slick, which by the way was pretty entertaining. It never evolved in anything, but pretty entertaining. But that's a side note. Um, yeah, it was all about how Whippleman uh, was was angry at the Undertaker for destroying Kamala, so he brought. Gonzalez in to uh, get even with him. Yeah, shout out to Kamala too. I always love Kamala. I wish that they did more with him and he got paid a little bit more money. Agreed. He was very underpaid, very underutilized, and I think that he was... I think that remix of Kamala with Slick and that comedic, you know, but yet sympathetic, he doesn't know how to pin the guy, Slick has been reformed. By the way, Slick was really an ordained minister, so God bless. Like, I'm a Christian as well, so, like, that was actually kind of, like, a fun fact that I really, obviously, personalize and really can um, relate to. That's a that's a dope aspect of, of Slick. But anyway, he, uh, ordained minister, basically changed his ways. His project was to, you know, help Kamala any way he could. And Kamala didn't know how to pin people, and Kamala didn't know how... Kamala didn't, wasn't sure... When the fans were cheering him, if it was okay to love the fans back, and Slick is like, "It's okay, they love you now." It was, it was fun. Yeah, it, I think Slick could have went a lot of places as kind of the uh, a babyface minister run, right? Um, but it sounds like we want to talk about anything but this match, and it's probably true. Um, this match ends with I don't remember if was it Harvey Whippleman gave Giant Gonzalez the rag. I don't even remember how this came into play. Harvey Whippleman. Gave him the rag, um, with whatever the whatever that substance is called. <laughs> is it bad? I, I I wanted to say ether, but I don't think that's what it was. Ether it was came, like no ether came to my mind too, so I think we're gonna go with ether. He um, he puts a rag over his face, and the Undertaker goes down like it's over. Yeah, and that leads to the disqualification. And I shout out to commentary, Corey Graves, everyone else, whoever's a commentary today, whoever does commentary, I should say. Take notes, because these guys tried to make this work so hard. They're like, can you smell that? Do you smell what's happening on the outside right now? That smell is horrible. And I just, 
I don't know, man. It just didn't work for me. They were trying to sell you something real bad. I was just like, I'm not buying, bro. I don't want it. Trying to sell I don't the want proverbial, it. trying to sell the proverbial bill of goods. And dude, they. I guess I'll kick it to you for the stretcher part. They stretchered Taker in this. They stretchered Taker out, uh, similar to the way Undertaker got destroyed at the Royal Rumble. Undertaker walked out of the Royal Rumble, but it was the first time that we saw the Undertaker compromise. It was the first time that we saw the Undertaker limp. He limped out of the Royal Rumble, so they took it to a different level, and he got carted out. Whatever this was on the um, on the rag that got, that smothered the Undertaker, you know, wink, wink, smothered the Undertaker, caused him to be knocked out. They put him on a stretcher. The Undertaker was stretchered out of the building. Like, he was gone into the locker room area. Alleged, I mean, uh, likelihood it would have been a... Uh, disqualification victory for The Undertaker regardless. We would find out it would be. But no announcement had been made by that point. The Undertaker was just gone, and the only concern was, is The Undertaker, like, did did Giant Gonzalez get the job done? But as we would know, uh, that would not be the case. Yeah, I love the part where the gong hit again. Taker comes down for the little, like, post-match beatdown. And the sad part is, when Undertaker fights these big dudes, he can't tombstone them. Facts. And this guy's so big, he can't take a choke slam. Undertaker ends up having to do, like, a leaping clothesline for the pop. And I was just like, oh, oh, no. But see, oh. see things like this, Conrad, are the reason why we have to think these things through. Like, if you can't have the major moves be accomplished, then maybe that's not the right dynamic. Or maybe if you want to have Gonzalez in a match with The Undertaker, you figure out a way. I know it sounds kind of crazy looking back on it, but... If you have to figure out a tag team match just to get them in the same ring at the same time, whatever. But the bottom line is, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Giant Gonzalez, God rest his soul, it it really never worked. It didn't work in WCW. It didn't work in WWE. Sometimes you can be too big, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. He reminded me of Kali, kind of. Right. Um, he, he looks like he's an imposing force. I'm not going to talk crazy to this dude if no, I saw him in the street. Me neither. But at the same time, when it comes to wrestling, he can't move. And, and, and it, it's clear he can't. I mean, he, he's very limited. And he's not like, I mean, Yokozuna, we'll talk about him coming up next. Yokozuna was, he wasn't eight feet tall, but he was 600 pounds. But he can move. He can, he can make these maneuvers that made him viable in the ring, which led to his two-year run on top of the, on top of the industry. But unfortunately, for somebody like Giant Gonzalez, limited mobility... You can't execute your finishing moves. You can't execute hardly anything. I mean, it really leaves, I guess you could say, only room for these gimmicky, let's throw some ether on a rag type finishes. Yeah, I just wish maybe instead of Taker doing that clothesline, have Taker come back with the chair. So he's already won the match, technically. Mm -hmm. Let Taker come out with the chair, get a couple good chair shots to the back, and then you send the people home happy. Maybe Gonzalez is trying to retreat. You finish this off on a Monday Night Raw. Exactly. Instead of the rest in peace match that we would see at SummerSlam, which was almost as bad as this match at WrestleMania. Oh, oh Lord have mercy. What a pay-per-view. I mean, are you fired up about this pay-per-view or what? You know, I, it makes me wonder about order it again. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, thank goodness for the WWE Network. I, I could watch it for free as part of my nine ninety nine subscription. But anyway, here we go. Here we go. We've seen all the preliminaries. I guess you could say Money, Inc. and 
Mega Maniacs were the semi-main event, but this is the real main event. This is supposed to be, supposed to be, supposed to be, supposed to be. I'm saying that over and over again because I'm trying to drive it home. Supposed to be the main event, the last match of the evening. Yokozuna, the winner of the 1993 Royal Rumble, challenging the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be, the young, upstart, underdog, Never saw it coming, but it works. World Wrestling Federation champion, Bret the Hitman Hart. The title's on the line. Had the potential to be historic. It was pretty good. Could have been better. Some rumors say the match was cut short. Talk to us. Do I start with the interview before, or should I say oh, this? Oh, please. No, no. Please. Whatever Let's you start got. start with it. Go. Hulk Hogan and Mean Gene. This is something I did not realize back then. I think as a kid, I kind of just, you know how you just push something through real quick? Like, all right, this is an interview. Let's get to the main event. That's what I want to see. Yes. And Hulk Hogan and Mean Gene are backstage talking. And this would be, um, we're getting up there to where Mean Gene won't be around too much longer either. Mean Gene. Um, mean Gene has Hulk Hogan. Mean Gene has one foot out the door. Yeah, yeah, rest in peace to Mean Gene, too, yeah. one of the greatest yes. interviewers of all time. He's interviewing Hulk Hogan, though, about everything that's happened. Hogan is already dressed in his new gear. He's got his fresh yellow cowboy boots on. Hogan is ready for this. And he says that he wants to challenge the winner of the WWF title match between Bret the Hitman Hart and Yokozuna to a match. Hogan is laying it out there already that he wants to challenge for it. Back then, you were used to hearing people say that all the time. You could hear Rick the Model Martel say he wants to challenge for the World Wrestling Federation title one day because everybody wanted it back then. Exactly. So we get to the match. Bret the Hitman Hart versus Yokozuna. Um, Bret Hart was adored. And, Sean, I, I'm going to flip this on you kind of and ask you a question. Mm -hmm. What do you think it was about Bret Hart that people love so much? Bret Hart was cool. We talked about that cool factor that um, Razor Ramon had. Bret Hart had something very similar. Bret Hart was, you know, long hair, sunglasses. By the way, the sunglasses were a happy accident because according to folklore, Bret Hart was not very good at interviews as far as his eye movement, so he threw on the sunglasses, one of the best moves he ever made for his career. Um, he, he, was, he was wearing pink. And what kind of dude wears pink unless you're the coolest guy on the planet? So he was able to pull that off. The guys respected him. The women liked him. He was a technical expert in the ring. He was believable as a technical expert. He didn't try to step out of what he really was. He won the title as Bret Hart. He didn't reinvent re himself. He didn't reinvent the wheel as far as, okay, well, you know what? Only power guys are in the title race. Let me change up my moveset. Let me try and bulk up, whatever the case may be. The same formula he used to win the Intercontinental Championship is the same formula he used to win the WWE Championship, and the fans respected him. That was part of his punchline. That was part of his deal. Macho Man talked about it every time he wrestled. Respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. They respected Bret Hart, which made him become an endearing character and an endearing person for the fans to get behind I like it. I think the boys in the locker room respected Bret Hart a lot, too. And I'm going to add to your little weird facts there. You talk about Bret wearing the pink. And in this match, he comes out in the all pink. Did you know that the pink was a happy accident, too? I did not know the pink was a happy accident. I just heard this story. So this is kind of new. Bret Hart said that they would always wear red, uh, the dark blue, 
and you know they would always come out like that in the early days of the Heart Foundation. Uh-huh. Younger people probably have no clue what we're talking about. Right. Go way back and look into when they first came in. Right. They wouldn't wear these colors. So they were called the Heart Foundation because of their last name. But eventually one night, the girl who did their attires, they didn't have uh, all of the stuff. And they were like, hey, can we get some colors? She said, I don't have any right now. He's like, "What? Do, well, what do you have? She was like, only thing I have is hot pink. And Brett said, man, we need gear for this. Uh, we got to wear something different. So he was like, yeah, we'll take it. So wow. he said that he, he thought they were going to get made fun of backstage. They go out for their match. They tried to avoid putting it on, I guess, all day. They go out for their match, him and Anvil. They come back, and he was like, he was waiting for Vince to say something. He said Vince was standing up, and he said, I don't ever want to see you wear any of those other colors again. Always wear the pink. And Vince loved it. And money once again for the hitman. Bret Hart just, he always made things work. He knew how to put out his positives, hide the negatives. Bret's not the greatest on promos. But Brett always had a really, really good match in the ring. And that was something you could always expect. And Yokozuna. And by, and by the way, before you, you that don't know. By the way, before you get into that, if you want to oh. see if you want to see the Heart Foundation in their blue, WrestleMania 2. You can check them out. Yes. Uh, they were in the Battle Royal, right? Yes, sir. There we go. Yokozuna. He is not Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> really? He's not? Really? <laughs> Listen, as a kid, I was I was all in. <laughs> they had me. They, they announced him. They announced him when he first came in from the Polynesian Islands. I was a kid. I didn't know. I was like uh, five. I had so... no idea where that was. I'm like, oh, okay, it must be an island over there. It must there. be an <laughs> island. It must be an island in Japan. Yeah, <laughs> I had no idea. I barely I barely knew where I lived. That's so awesome. That's Yokozuna awesome. is uh, one of the most agile big men for his size that I have ever seen. I don't care how big that dude was. That dude dropped a perfect leg drop. Yes, he did. Never hurt a soul. I seen him do one bad bunzai drop, and not to say that it was a good thing, but it was on someone who was a jobber, and he sat on this dude's face. Yeah, he could have. He could have killed him. Yeah, that was bad. Um, but Yokozuna was on a tear, man. From the dude who beat Virgil to getting to this level, I never thought that was gonna happen like that. You know what? I, I don't take a lot of credit for things like this um, because I'm just not a braggadocious individual but i gotta i gotta run with this one i saw it coming um the, the writing was on the wall for me even from that that virgil match because the build was you you could tell when they're trying to get behind someone it's the same build that they had for razor when razor came in it just never came to fruition even though he challenged for the title in 93 yokozuna when he beat yoko when he beat um virgil that was his coming out party for greatness. It wasn't it wasn't gonna be just another guy. It was he squashed Virgil figuratively and 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 literally and that was his catapult. I, I saw it coming. I really did. He he squashed a, a television talent and that always kind of meant something like yo he just beat Virgil like that and exactly. Virgil beats everybody that's like a bum. Exactly. So exactly um hashtag uh <laughs> Meat sauce. Let me let me uh, give Virgil his props before he gets mad at me. Um, Bret Hart Yokozuna. This had the recipe to do something here, but we get back into. Remember how we just talked about with the Undertaker, Giant Gonzalez, the weird like, how is this gonna work? Mm-hmm. Even as a kid, I wondered how is Bret gonna put the sharpshooter on Yokozuna? Yoko's a big dude. Facts. I agree. I agree. You, you are putting your leg in and then turning him over like he's Kurt Henning or something. But a nice, so, a, nice, a nice job of how they manipulated it. Go ahead. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yokozuna ends up on his back. Uh, Brett is trying to do all of his signature moves. I, I think you know as an older fan. Once you start seeing Brett hit the uh, backbreaker, Russian leg sweep, elbow off the top, you know Brett's starting to set up for the sharpshooter. Oh, that's, that's, that's the five moves of greatness as opposed to the five moves of doom. Yep. Yeah, but Brett had a lot more in the tank than yeah, that. Yeah, that's, so. that's what I'm trying to say. But that was he had about four or five that set up for the finish. Yep. So, Brett ends up getting Yoko. He's down on his stomach laying flat. Brett comes over, and all he has to do is kind of wrap his legs and pull them up. Brett gets the sharpshooter locked in at one point, but he locks it in in a horrible position in the ring, a perfect position for Mr. Fuji. Mr. Fuji ends up getting salt, even though to me it looks like powder. It looks like powder. It probably is powder. Yeah, but he ends up getting Brett right in the face. Brett falls over. I don't know what the referee's thinking here. Like, oh, he must have got so tired he passed out. (laughs) Uh, Brett Brett falls over, and Yoko just pens him. No bonsai drop, nothing else. And I like that they didn't do that here because it kind of left mystery open for later on down the line. So Yoko gets the penfall, and as a kid, dude, I can still remember this. I love Sean. But Brett was also one of my guys, and my heart, like, sank. When he lost the belt to Yoko, I was like, this dude, what is this? You know what? It was also a surprise element, too, because up until this time, very rarely, if ever, was there a situation where a pay-per-view ended with the heel going over? At WrestleMania, nonetheless. Exactly. So it was one of those deals where it's like, wait a minute, did this really just happen? Yeah, so Yoko's sitting there. Yoko can't even fit the belt around his waist. Bobby Heenan's going nuts on commentary. Um, he's, a ja- he's, the... he's a Japanese hero. He's a national hero. Oh, my God, Bobby. <laughs> um, so I'm going to kick it to you for the finish because this is your boy. Wait a minute. That wasn't the finish? That, no. Oh, it was... my goodness. I'm so... I'm I'm so confused. Why how was why wasn't that the finish? Yokozuna won the title, right? You well, got, you, that ain't working for me, brother. Oh <laughs> my god. Well, okay. Well, eight year old Sean is very excited. Okay. Eight year old Sean is very excited. Sean in 2019. Uh, here comes Hogan. On behalf of Bret Hart, he's talking about how Yokozuna cheated. He's appealing to the fans. His friend, as Jim Ross put it, Jim Ross, God bless him, he was just doing his job. His friend, Bret Hart, got screwed, so he's trying to make sure the referee is aware of it, and he's there simply for the benefit of Bret Hart. And then, Mr. Fuji gets on the microphone. And again, eight-year-old Sean, very excited. Very excited, because Mr. Fuji says he'll put the title on the line right now if Hogan gets in the ring right now. Hogan, again, eight-year-old Sean, is so benevolent and so understanding and so much of a friend of Bret Hart that he doesn't accept the challenge initially. He has to ask Bret Hart for his blessing. Meanwhile, Hulk's wife and kids are sitting front row during the main event that he's not even a part of. And Bret Hart gives him the okay. Hogan comes into the ring. Hogan gets kicked in the guts or punched in the guts, whatever it was. Yokozuna has him hemmed up. Mr. Fuji throws salt, trying to throw salt in Hogan's eyes. He misses and throws a Yokozuna's eyes. Clothesline, leg drop, new champion. Hogan wins. 
Hogan must pose. Hogan. <laughs> I, I'm like, it's such a contrast. It's such a contrast to the way I was when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I thought it was so awesome. And like, as an adult, it's like, what was I thinking? Like, I, I guess I was just being a kid, which makes me feel better about it because at least I wasn't a teenager. But man, like how, well, let's just put it like this. There were some extemporaneous circumstances that led to that finish. And, and that's what makes it worse. When, when you go back in time and you do the research, us being journalists now, we do research and we look things up and we find out about things that we never would have known being just fans. And um, he made Bret Hart a promise and, and, he, and he reneged on that promise. And I'll let you talk about that. Oh, oh, we'll get. I want to get into that, but let me just say that I hated that part so much where Brett pointed for him to go get him. It made Brett look so soft. No, like, not but, not in ni- not not in nineteen ninety three. Not not you being, I believe, when you were five or six, and me being eight or not. I don't believe not when we were kids. No, but you. So Hogan came out as a kid, but when I look back at this, right. Brett looked horrible there. He's like, I can't see. I can't see. Go get him. Get him. <laughs> it's just like he's the little brother who just got beat up, and he just big brother. Go get him. But you man. gotta, you gotta be fair. Like again, you gotta be fair. This is us as grown men looking back on it twenty years later. As kids, it was different. Well, listen, I'm gonna tell you guys the guys honest truth about this too. Okay. I never really liked Hulk Hogan. Really? I never was a Hogan guy. Okay. The, the closest picture you'll have with me uh, with Hogan is in my kindergarten picture. And I'm not gonna post this again because someone uh, from who makes like the video games, they told me post a picture or it didn't happen. Okay. So I had to post it because he was calling me out for it. Okay. But in my kindergarten graduation picture, we had to take pictures. I have on a Buffalo Bills AFC champions uh, kind of like sweatsuit, and I we could take a picture with our favorite toy or whatever. And my mom wanted me to take a picture with this Hulk Hogan wrestling buddy that I had. Okay. Because okay. I used to always play with the thing, slam him down on the ground. So I took the picture with it. That's the only time you'll ever see me with anything Hogan around. Gotcha. I don't have Hulk Hogan DVDs. I don't have Hulk Hogan anything, really, because he was never my guy. Even when we did WrestleMania 6 review, make sure you go check that out in the archives. Yes, sir. Um, Hulk Hogan was not the guy I wanted to win. I wanted the Ultimate Warrior to beat him. You know what? I respect so, I respect that. I respect that. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Hogan after you finish this, uh, this breakdown. So... We get into Brett the Hitman Hart. Now, I don't know how true these stories are because I feel Hogan and Brett are both their own number one fans when they tell these stories, even today. But a um, little bit more believability out of Brett Hart, in my opinion. Looking back, absolutely. Yeah. Hogan's stories don't even line up. Yeah, exactly. He said he was at SummerSlam 92 and the, a song got wrote for a kid who was a Make-A-Wish kid. Hogan, you weren't even there, brother. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> what are you so, talking about? If I, had, if I had my back to the wall, I would believe Brett Hart over Hogan. Yeah, so, and I believe this did happen because Brett seems like he gets really agitated by this during that time. Again, we want to make sure the fans know that uh, what myself and Conrad are discussing right now are rumors. They do, they are rumors that have a lot of backing to them, but they are just rumors. We're not speaking as if it's facts, but there's a lot that lends itself for us to believe that they're facts. So, go ahead. Yeah, so we get into this. So the story was set up as this was always the finish, I guess. Okay. This was what was planned, and Brett was cool with it. The okay. salt in the eyes, telling Hogan to go get him. Cool, not a problem. Mm-hmm. Hogan was supposed to return the favor exactly. at SummerSlam. Exactly, which is why I said Hogan lied. Well, 
wouldn't be the first time, wouldn't be the last time, brother. Right. So Hogan kind of backed out of it and said he did not want to lose to Bret Hart because it would make him look weak. And I guess it was in creative meetings with Vincent and crew, uh, probably Patterson and Pritchard and all them were in there. But Hogan just said, this isn't going to work for me. I would rather He would rather drop it to a big guy who he can come back and get his comeback on because that's what made money back then. Right. And I get Hogan's standpoint even to a, a, a degree on it. Like, that was what wrestling was back then. And people – you're not going to tell a dude who made all this money in the wrestling industry how to do his business. I hear you, but we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this down a little bit when you're finished. Go ahead. Yeah. So afterwards – um, th- that was all set up. There's even posters. If you look hard enough in Google Images and you really search for them, you can find a poster of Bret the Hitman Hart versus Hulk Hogan on a SummerSlam 1993 ad. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, it's just sad, man, that we never got that match. And I think the Hitman has always resented Hulk Hogan, even later in their years in WCW together. I think there's always been that resentment towards him for that. And you would see the same things play out with people like Shawn Michaels, and we can get into those when it's time to. But Hulk Hogan always had this kind of heat on him for not wanting to put over some of the guys who Vince was trying to move forward with. And I think, I don't know if Vince did it out of respect that he always gave Hogan his way, or if it was already in his contract that he had that creative control. But things were things were just different back then, man. And I really wish we got to see that Brett versus Hogan match. I think that would have been really dope. It, it would have. But, but here's my thing, man. And you know something? It, I, I take this a little bit more personally. Um, as a journalist, I, I probably shouldn't. But as a man, as a fan, as a kid, uh, growing up in the late 80s and early 90s, I am offended. And I'm going to tell you why. I wasn't old enough in my, I guess you could say, my conscious mindset to remember WrestleMania 3 live, I was like one, but I definitely, I mean, looking back in retrospect and watching it millions of times on video, I'm, I'm very aware of it. And I'm very aware of the importance of that pay-per-view. It wasn't the 93,173 people, even though that was huge. It wasn't the fact that it was a sellout. It wasn't the fact that it was the biggest pay-per-view to date in WWE history. It was the fact that Andre the Giant, a man who did not have to lose... A man who could have, God rest his soul, who could have gone down in history as the winner of that match by simply refusing to lose because he was that good, that big, that dominant, where he did not have to lose. For him to make the decision to lay down for Hogan for the, for the betterment of the industry, Hogan had the chance to do the same. And it just bothers me so much looking back at it from a historical journalistic standpoint that Hogan made the decision that he wasn't going to do what was best, I hate to use this term, but best for business and, and, and pass the torch to the next guy, especially when you know you have one foot out the door. You know that you're going to go through thunder and paradise. You know that you're in negotiations possibly with WCW. You know that your time in the company is almost over and you know Bret Hart deserves it. You know Bret Hart deserves it. You know you hear the boos being smattered in with, with the cheers for you. You hear the ovations for Bret Hart. You know the tide is changing. So you have an opportunity to do what's right. And looking back again from a historic standpoint, you've done a lot of things wrong in this business. And you have a chance to make it right. And you decide 
that you're not going to honor and agree. I mean, when you're sick, because it makes me believe, Conrad, and you could correct me if I'm wrong here. It makes me believe that during that production meeting or during that uh, whatever kind of meeting it may have been, during that sit down, I'm, I'm imagining Brett and Vince and Hogan and Pritchard and whoever else, maybe Jim Cornette at the time, sitting around a table. And I'm imagining them discussing WrestleMania and discussing SummerSlam. And I'm imagining Hogan saying, okay, no problem, brother. I'll, I'll job to you at WrestleMania, at SummerSlam on my way out. You'll have your moment. But it makes me believe that Hogan lied to Bret Hart's face. I don't think it was a reconsideration of Hogan to not lose to Bret Hart. I think Bret Hart sat down at that table pre-WrestleMania and knew that he wouldn't do anything for Bret Hart and said what he had to say in order for Bret Hart to do what he did for him. That's what angers me. That's what takes me to a point, along with some racial things that have come out later. Well, you know, I won't get into that, but I'm sure anybody who has seen any kind of news knows what I'm talking about. That, along with that, is what really hurts me because I was a Hogan guy. I had a Hogan t-shirt. I had a Hogan backpack. I was Hulk Hogan through and through. I bled red and yellow. And it is personal. Wrestling, uh, wrestling's fake, Sean. Wrestling, who cares? It was real to me as a kid. And there's a lot of realness to it. You, as we can see now, looking at the politics of the whole thing, there's more realness to it than we even imagined back then. So, sorry to go off on that rant, but that's how I feel. No, no, I hear you, man. Uh, someone called me a mark the other day on one of my videos, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, we're all marks, even the wrestlers. I said, if you even believe for one iota that this is real, you're a mark. If you bought a, a pay-per-view, if you spent a dollar on anything wrestling, you're a mark, man. And we're all marks. And I hope people really understand that. And it's not a bad term to me either. Some people take it the wrong way when they call you that. It doesn't bother me at all, at least me personally. Right. But when you look at this, I I, believe, just, I just hope what I said makes sense. Yeah, no, I 100% get what you said. And it actually wants, makes me want to talk about this a little bit more. When I look at... Brett the Hitman Hart in this Hogan situation. I believe from Brett's story on one of the shoot interviews, Brett said, and this is all from his perspective, mm -hmm. that they were going in between Vince McMahon. So Brett would have a meeting with Vince, Hogan would have a meeting with Vince, and ah. Vince was relaying the information back and forth. Okay, okay. That so they never sat in there story. and Hogan said, I'll put you over, brother. Right. It didn't happen until after the fact. Okay, okay. So okay. what happened was, and this is all Brett's perspective, folks, mm -hmm. so... Mark that down before you start saying that I said this was the truth. Brett the Hitman Hart uh, was told, Hogan's going to put you over. He told me it was all good. Okay, cool. Now, I know some people think that people have bad memories, but Brett seems to be like me, and I remember every single word you've said. Mm -hmm. Like, And he remembers. So he, Hogan said he was going to put me over. Yep. All right, cool. Brett goes out. He's cool with the idea. Hogan eventually says no, and then they wind up to where they're both in front of them. And this is where the problems come from. And he said, well, do you have a problem putting me over? And Hogan said that was never the original plan. Wow. And Vince, trying to play face, said, Brett, I think you misheard me when we had our meeting. And Brett was like, I didn't mishear anything. And he went up to Hogan and said, do you have a problem with me putting me over? And Hogan was kind of like, come on, brother. It's not like that. Uh, I didn't want to do that. And, you know, there's a lot of backpedaling after that. Of course, that, of course which, there was. Which could have led to a fight. But I want to say this. You brought up a good point about Hogan doing all of this stuff. Do you think in your heart of hearts, and this is going to probably be a super deep topic, but do you think in your heart of hearts Hulk Hogan led the culture that we have in the World Wrestling Federation now with the championship as far as 
being selfish kind of once you get to the top and putting people out and not putting people over, which led to the behavior we got from Brett the Hitman Hardy eventually because Brett wasn't always just Mr. Nice Guy champion either. He had some problems towards the end of his run when he was champion last in the WWF, uh, the Montreal Screwjob. Shawn Michaels' attitude. I think all this stuff carried over from how they watched Hogan behave over the years. And they said, well, I'm not doing that either. Hogan wouldn't do it. I'm not doing it. And and if you listen to Bruce Pritchard, they always said, present the champion how you would present Hogan. Present Brett like you would present Hogan. And I think that Hogan doing all this stuff over the years taught people, this is how I need to act. This is how I need to do it if I'm going to remain champion. And do you think that that kind of led to a toxic environment in the main event scene in the World Wrestling Federation? I think that that couldn't be that couldn't be any closer to the truth. I, I think that's exactly what it was. I when you when you look at the way things would play out years later, you know, Hogan is the biggest name in the history of wrestling. Rick Rick Flair or Rick Flair, Shawn Michaels, one one A are the greatest performers of all time. But as far as names, as far as somebody who's never heard the word, the, the term WWE or WWF or World Wrestling Federation or World Wrestling Entertainment or World Championship Wrestling, someone who's never heard those terms has heard the name Hulk Hogan before. So Hulk Hogan is the biggest name in the history of the industry. Hogan had a responsibility, Conrad, to do what was right, not only for himself, but do what was right for the industry and do what was right, to your point, for people who came behind him. Bret Hart was scorned that day, bro. I, I don't care what anybody says. Again, I'm glad you pointed that out. I'm going to point it out again. This is strictly opinion, and this is strictly hearsay. But there's a lot of facts that back, you know, there are a lot of things that have been said that makes this seem as close to fact as possible. And as you said, Bret Hart's story has never changed all these years later. So with that being said, Bret Hart was scorned that day. Bret Hart was hurt that day. Bret Hart... I'm sure remembers the moment that he found out that he wasn't going to be where he was going to supposed to be at SummerSlam. Uh, I'm sure that that there's some resentment that he holds even to this day about that. And, and in a lot of ways, I think that day is as important, if not more, than November of 1997. Because in April of 1993, Hogan crushed Bret Hart. Bret Hart, as much of a Hall of Fame career, and this is going to be a hot take, so you can correct me if, if you like or if you disagree. Bret Hart, as much of a great career as he had, Bret Hart, as much of a Hall of Famer as he rightfully is, Bret Hart will never and never did have a moment like he would have had if he beat Hulk Hogan in 1993. That is a... Fact. I think that would have really put him over as the next top guy. And not to say that Brett's title reigns were lackluster. I felt like they had to build Brett back up, and they kept basically – I don't know how to put it. So you, you, have, you have brothers and sisters, I assume, right? I have a sister, yep. Any, anybody who has cousins and stuff, are you the oldest or the youngest? Uh, I'm in the middle. <laughs> I'm in the middle. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, the about cousins, about cousins. Family, so. I'm, I'm the older brother, but I have cousins like all ages. Well, have you ever been around someone and they have like a sandwich or enough food from McDonald's or somewhere and they don't have enough for everyone else or or they tell you a secret, but they don't have. And that's what it felt like for Bret Hart. Absolutely. They're like, listen, Bret, I know come exactly here. what you're trying to say. Yep. 
Brett, come here. We got this for you right now. Just take it for now, and your time's going to come. And I felt like that. it was like makeup work, like, Brett, listen, you're really our guy, but <laughs> we got to run with these plans now. And Brett seemed kind of like, eh, whatever, man. You could tell from the rest of 93 until 94, until he got into around the Royal Rumble time period, the rest of 93, let's just say, mm-hmm. Brett wasn't the same. Brett was in, like, these weird spots, and it just felt like, well, what happened? I mean, he was like a deer caught in headlights. He faced Jerry the King Lawler. Well, he, well, he won King of the Ring, which, looking back, you know, retrospect 2020 vision, hindsight vision, the King of the Ring was nothing more than, like, you know, throwing a dog a bone. That's all it mm-hmm. was. You know, well, 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 you know, we screwed you, so here's the King of the Ring. Let's, uh, I think the King of the Ring was was created because of Hogan's decision. Ooh, that's a real hot take. I, I really do. I think the King of the Ring being reformed and reshaped into a pay-per-view was due to Hogan's decision. Because that had to be injected into the mix in order for the transition from Yokozuna or from Hogan to Yokozuna to make sense. Where else would he have lost the title? Raw? Right. Superstars? Wrestling Challenge? Yeah, that, that's true, because we never saw Hogan again after that, right? Not not one not one time. Hogan didn't appear on TV except on set of Thunder in Paradise before King of the Ring. And then after the King of the Ring, he was gone. I think King of the Ring was created because of Hogan's decision. I think they had to make this situation what it was. They had to give Bret Hart, even though he deserved it. I don't want to take anything away from him. They had to give Bret Hart King of the Ring. They had to make Bret Hart 1993, from pe- for people who remember this, Superstar of the Year. Because he didn't have anything else. He didn't have anything else. The world title was going to be manipulated because Yokozuna was going to have his run that he, that he so richly deserved. So you can't take it off of Yoko until the following uh, spring at WrestleMania 10. So Bret Hart, from the time Hogan backtracked or lied or whatever he did, in reference to get putting him over at SummerSlam, from the summer of 93 all the way through late winter, which is would be January, February of 94, Bret had nothing. Bret had absolutely nothing. It, it, it was gone. His legs got chopped out from under him. He lost a year as world champion. That didn't need to happen. It didn't need to happen. It was completely ludicrous. Hogan was on his way. See, this is what people don't understand. Hogan was leaving regardless. So basically what it is, Hogan said, I'd rather lose to that guy instead of that guy. And it changed the course of Bret Hart's career forever. Everybody knows he will never, ever have a moment, and he never did have a moment that would have been as big as him beating Hogan in 1993, him beating Hogan in 98 or whatever that little stupid rivalry was in 98. I don't know even if they had an official match. I think they did. But anyway, and by the way, the fact that I don't remember all the way is exactly my point. Yeah, that wasn't a good run for Brett there either in WCW. But yeah, no matter what, 19, the summer of 93, a clean victory over Hulk Hogan at the biggest pay-per-view of the summer, the second pay- biggest pay-per-view period in the industry over Hogan, who was still relatively in his prime as world champion, that got stolen from him. 
So to bring it back to your original point, hell no, I'm not going to lose to Shawn Michaels in my home country. Do you remember what happened to me four years ago? Right, and I, and I think a lot of that builds up, too. I think that's how Owen got the spot he got in. Brett, we need you to do this. No, I want to do this instead. Right. And, and, and that comes from the environment that Hogan and – you can't even say Hogan. Vince allowed it. Vince, Vince was the father Vince kind of, of this, and these are his kids, and I'm he's glad. letting them run wild. Conrad, CK, I'm so glad you said that. As much blame as I throw on Hogan, we have to throw it on Vince, too. Vince allowed it to happen. You know why? Because let me tell you something. Vince made a decision when it came to Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels in 97, didn't he? Mm-hmm. So how come he didn't stand up to Hogan? I think I think uh, the competition thing was uh, different during oh, this time. Oh, no. No, no, bro. I'm not going to let no, you. No, no, no. I think he just had more fear of, listen, I could lose my company if this goes the wrong way versus no, 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 right now. I, I still disagree. I'm going to tell you why. Hogan was leaving regardless. Hogan was but, gone. But I think Vince thought he could convince him to stay. Oh, okay. Okay. I think Vince thought he could convince. So you, I put myself in each person's shoes, and they had something different that they all wanted. Okay. Vince wanted Hogan to stay because he still feels he's a star, even though Bruce, Hulk himself probably, Brett, everybody, you and me, even as kids, I was like, Hogan star power isn't what it used to be. Agreed. It's not Hogan of 1989 anymore right. where hashtag Hogan must pose. Right. It, it just wasn't the same. And I think Vince was like, I think I can get him back. And then eventually I think he saw it wasn't going to happen. Like Hogan was like, no, I'm doing movies, brother. I'm yeah. done with the wrestling it's a, stuff. It's a wrap. Exactly. exactly. And so Bischoff came with that checkbook and then it was a different story. Yeah. I mean, Hogan's been disloyal his whole career. That's why I say I take it personally, bro, because – you, it doesn't hurt you as much because you weren't a Hogan guy. I'm talking about all the years I had invested as a kid loving this dude. And it's like, now it's like, man, like, what a scumbag this dude turned out to be. Like, I mean, and it's like, it's almost like you wish that wrestling was real. And, I'm, and I'll explain my stance on that. You wish wrestling was real because there would be no politics involved. Yeah, but then a lot of people wouldn't get to be champ because I don't think they can fight. Well, there you go. That's a good point too. But <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's just such a it's it's a tough business, man. For as people always love to say wrestling's not real, quote unquote. I don't like to say that, but when people say all that stuff and talk it, you should hear some of these stories because you would believe it is. You know, it's just another example of of how you know real this this this. How real this, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it'll come to me. Um, how real this stage, this stage form of entertainment is. It's the best, it's one of the best things I've ever been a part of in my entire life. I'm honored to be a wrestling and combat sports journalist. I'm sure you feel the same way. And, but, but the realness of it, you know, that behind the scenes kind of look that we're starting to get, that we've started to get over the past 20 years, it really starts to show you Hey, listen, like, these are human beings, you know. Shawn Michaels is Michael Hickenbottom. Hulk Hogan is Terry Bollea. These are real individuals with real personalities, and we have to understand that they're not always... Now, I say Shawn Michaels just because I remember Shawn Michaels' real name. Shawn Michaels has changed his life. God bless him. He's a Christian. He's a believer. He tries to do things the right way. More power to... I respect any man that can see the error of his ways and make changes. You know what I'm trying to say? Yes. But, but with Hogan, it, it doesn't seem like much has changed, man. Nah, man, Hogan's just always lived that same life. 
He always can come in, get the top spot, always knows how to get his creative control. And like you said, he's the biggest name in the industry. Some people question that big WrestleMania 19 match. Who was really the star of the WWF? Did Vince McMahon create the WWF to be this level of a global competitor that it is today? Or did Hulk Hogan create that? I think it's more of a, they both did it, but that storyline just makes you always wonder, who was the bigger guy in creating this, Vince or Hogan? I agree. And you know something, I think at the end of the day, I'm going to be fair. Um, a lot of some people say some real Hogan haters. Um, I, I I dislike Hogan for reasons that I think anybody would understand, especially being a black man. Um, but I don't I don't hate the man. I don't hate anyone. Um, but I, I dislike Hogan on a personal level because of that. But I respect him for being who he is in the industry because Hogan haters, meaning Hogan people who hate Hogan blindly. Um, they say, oh, anybody could have been Hogan if, if, with the WWE machine behind him. That's not true. You know what I'm saying? That, that's not true. Because they, they tried it with Lex Luger. It didn't work. I'll be your hero. <laughs> oh, my God. I just remember all those bad promos, too. Right. So you got to give Hogan, you know, respect on that level. You know, he, he it, not anybody could have just jumped in that role and been Hogan. That That's a lie. But that doesn't take away from... Some really unfortunate things that took place back then. And, you know, um, with everything that came out, I'm really trying so hard not to dig into that because it's not that kind of a show. But with everything that came out in 2015 about what he said about whatever, whatever, that doesn't help. (laughs) You know what? He's never going to live it down. I I, I cover a lot of, like, the WWE 2K20 stuff, uh, friends with a lot of the guys who even make the game. Right. And... Hogan's name came up. He's like a, a bonus character or something if you get a, a, a certain pre-order. And I saw in the comment section instantly, oh, is this the racist edition? of? He's never going to be able to live that down now. Let me, That's always going to come up for the rest of his life, I think, until some serious amends are made or something. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell the guy for how to make that better. I don't know if there is a way to make that better. But Hogan did have an impact on a lot of people's lives. And even though you, some people may say I'm a Hogan hater or whatever, I still recognize what the man did for the industry and how special he was to a lot of other people. If you ask me, him or Stone Cold are the greatest names ever in wrestling. That If you say their names, people know who they are instantly. Exactly. I'll, I'll wrap it up by saying this. Um, again, not going to dig too deep. I just, I'm promising myself that I won't dig too deep. Um... You identify as being a man of color. I identify as being a man of color, black man, however you want to word it. Um, What he said was wrong. Uh, We know that. And it hurts because whether it's real or not, and we all know that wrestling is staged, but what he stood for, even in his character, was real, if that makes any sense. Like the saying, the prayers, the eating, the vitamins, the believing in yourself, the training, those were real elements that I've implied in my own, that I've used in my own life. You know what I'm trying to say? I'm a Christian. I pray all the time. I take my vitamins. I, 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 I train. Well, I'm starting to train now. And, like, you know, I, I believe it. Like, these are real things. So it's like that guy turning out to be who he is, even if I've met him, because I do believe one day I'll, I'll work for a major promotion. I'm sure maybe our paths will cross. I would shake his hand and I would say, you know what? Terry, or however he wants to be addressed. I love you for what you did for the business, man, but I, I, I just don't understand. you know. And I, and, and I would hope to have a dialogue with him. And maybe he wouldn't even want to talk to a nobody like me. But at the end of the day, 
Um, there's a lot of quote-unquote, I say that tongue-in-cheek, there's a lot of quote-unquote nobodies that want the same answers I do, even four years later. I'm sure Bret Hart wants answers about what happened between he and Hogan 25 years later. And I, I think Hogan's going to always fight that uphill battle. But I will say this. Every time I watch the WWE Network and every time I look at a WrestleMania 5 or 6 or 3 or 10, excuse me, not 10, or, or 8 or whatever, when that music hits, a little part of me smiles because it's nostalgia. I just wish it was attached to a little better human being because the alleged, I say the word alleged because I'm not in the man's house, but the alleged human being that I've read about and researched, it doesn't match up to the persona. That's all I'm saying. Absolutely, and I and I hope he really doesn't feel the way from what was said with everything. And I met him after that fact too. Okay. And nicest guy in the world. Uh, took pictures with any single person who asked. Uh, posed. Didn't care if he was in a store, whatever. Hogan did whatever for the people. Signed autographs. Didn't charge a dollar. Didn't ask for anything. Told the kids be good. And like you said, that cross that he wore on his neck too. That was always a big deal to me that he wore that. It was symbolism without having it there. Right. And like I said, you got to respect what he did for this industry. But I have one more question before we get out of here. Please. I know. We got to wrap this up on this WrestleMania 9 show. Is this the worst WrestleMania in your opinion? I'm going to answer that question right after I say this. Uh, I'm one of Hulk Hogan's biggest fans of all time. And I believe in, in reconciliation in all aspects of life. And if Hogan has changed, God bless him. And I do not disqualify, I believe, as a church-going person, you're not finished evolving. You're not finished becoming a better person until the day you close your eyes for the last time. So the fact that Hogan is still with us, he has time and days and months and God willing years to continue to repair whatever was broken. And I believe that he can do it. And I hope he does it. That's why I want to leave that. Um, Quite possibly the worst WrestleMania ever. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good answer. Um, you know what? In all honesty, over the years, it's come down to two that I would go back and forth on, and this is one of them. Rewatching this made me want to put this in the number one spot. Wow. What's the other one? Eleven. Eleven was pretty bad, too. Um, I'm trying to think of that. Oh, man. LT and Bam Bam. Uh, you know what, though? See, I didn't hate LT and Bam Bam. That was a pleasant surprise, I thought. Oh, so you didn't like the ending of, of HBK and, and Diesel? Oh, well, I'm a Sean fan. Of course not. There you go. Well, no, I'm talking about that powerbomb. Oh, God. Yeah, because Sean tried to sandbag him. He said it. Wow. Nash said it. He said Sean sandbagged me because he was mad he wasn't winning. Uh, well, it is what it is. Well, anyway, I want to give room. First of all, this was an awesome show. We got some real life in here. We talked about the pay-per-view, some politics, even though I wasn't planning on it. Some wow! This was the realest. Ep this might be the realest episode of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly in history, man. This you know what, Sean? Too you. You hit me in the heart when you said that about forgiveness because um, yeah. I don't want to get on my high horse real quick no, about this, but please. I do feel that people need to uh, look at themselves. I think that's one of the things missing from society today. We're so quick to tear someone down for social media, a tweet, uh, a scandal, a video, whatever the situation may be. But I always ask this question, too. Well, how quick are we to forgive that person? Because you, you can't just be mad at someone forever because people will always bring up, oh, yeah, remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? And I'm like, but, dude, did you forgive them? Because that's on you, too. Like, I feel like you got to have forgiveness in your heart. Like, 
listen, man, people make mistakes, bro. You got to get better, man. So I, I really wish you do. Like, I want people to get better. And I feel like other people just want them to wallow and kind of be stuck in their own ways. So that really hit me in the heart when you said that that was a really good message for the people to hear. I appreciate that, man. I, you know, I real recognize real. You're a good dude. And I want to take the time to let you let the people know all about your show. Let people know what you got coming up because I know you got a lot of things in the works. And uh, tell them where they can find you. Uh, you're one of the best in the business. I'm so happy to have you on my show. Talk to the people, man. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at EPW Show. And if you look at the top in my bio, you will find a link tree that has all the links to the podcast. I'm on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever major podcasts are held. Type in everything pro wrestling, you will find it. I now do a podcast every Saturday for Brain Buster Radio. I am also on there, so make sure you check out all those lovely podcasters. Um, also, make sure you give Hover Weekly a subscribe if you haven't. You don't want to miss an episode, so make sure you catch that every week as well. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. Just hit 500 subscribers. I think I'm at 505 when I last looked this morning, so I finally hit my goal before SummerSlam. I will be at SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver uh, this weekend in Toronto, so I will get to relive a little bit of our WrestleMania 6 retro review. I will be there, so it's going to feel really good to be in that city and kind of take in, because it's my first time in Toronto for a wrestling show, take in what is uh, actually the history that we talked about in that city. And they have a big love for Hogan, um, everything else. So it's going to be very interesting to be there for two days for two different events uh, with some people to cover all of that. And last but not least, uh, I do have a store on Tee Public. I just put up some new shirts with some NWO-like designs that say EPW on them. Nice. Make sure, yes, make sure you guys check those out. We do have the designs in the Wolfpack colors, uh, the black and red. We have the LWO colors even, the plain classic black and white. You can get those on hoodies, cups, T-shirts, notebooks, pillows. Uh, phone cases, whatever you guys want. So make sure you check that out. And I have a few more designs that I'm going to have going up for you guys relatively soon. So make sure you guys check it out. Thank you for letting me plug all that. And thank you for having me on the show. It's always fun. And I absolutely love listening to your podcast as well. Most definitely, bro. I appreciate you, man. Everything you're doing over there at Everything Pro Wrestling coincides with everything I'm doing here at Hubbard Wrestling Weekly. It's all about bringing the people the best content in the world, and that's exactly what we're doing. And we're going to keep this momentum going, this wrestling brotherhood going, and we're going to work together again, man. So thank you once again, and uh, we're going to keep this momentum going, like I said. But with that being said, we're about to wrap up another episode of the Hubbard Wrestling Weekly Podcast, this very special WrestleMania 9 retro review edition of the show. But a quick programming note before I let y'all go. Make sure you check out my Twitter, at Hub underscore Wrestling, and make sure you check out my YouTube. You can search me on YouTube, Hubbard Wrestling Weekly, all the best in combat sports. Bellator, WWE, AEW, the whole nine yards. And um, very important for all my listeners to check out my Twitter Specifically, because if you go to hub underscore wrestling, that's H-U-B-B underscore wrestling, you're going to see a tweet. I'm going to retweet it a little bit later, probably a couple of minutes before NXT TakeOver Toronto starts. So look out for that. But I'm going to send out a tweet. It's going to have instructions on how to enter a very special contest. Shout out to the staff over at Fight TV. Yes, you heard me right. Fight TV, that streaming service over there. That website is doing some amazing things. They just brought you Pacquiao versus Thurman. Last night they brought you ROH Summer Super uh, Supercard. 
Fight TV is awesome, and they're working with me at Hubbard Wrestling Weekly uh, to bring you guys an amazing contest. So go to hub underscore wrestling on Twitter, and you'll see the information. There will be instructions on how to enter the contest. You may have to retweet something. You may have to follow something or someone. But if you follow those instructions you enter the contest, you will have a chance to win a code to watch on Fight TV. At the end of this month, August, you'll have a chance to watch the entire weekend of StarCast 3. How big is that? How big is that? So make sure you go to Hub underscore Wrestling on Twitter and check out that contest because that is legit and it's real. It's as real as it gets. Fight TV and Hubbard Wrestling Weekly are giving away a code for you to watch StarCast 3 from Chicago featuring CM Punk, featuring... John Moxley, the list goes on and on and on. For free, you'll have a chance to watch StarCast 3. And I'm going to make sure I give out that code by, I'd say, August 17th to the winner. I'm going to announce the winner on August 17th. What's the significance, Sean, of dropping the winner on August 17th? I'm going to tell you why. Because not only is Fight TV bringing you StarCast 3, but if you... Order StarCast 3 for everybody who's going to order it, and I'm sure there's going to be millions who order it. If you order StarCast 3 before August 19th, you're going to get StarCast 1 and 2 for free. So the significance of that is this. When you win my contest, if you enter and win my contest, there'll be one winner. That winner, I'm going to give that code to on August 17th. If you cash that code in after August 19th, then you'll get StarCast 3. That's awesome in itself. But if you cash in the code before August 19th, you'll get access to StarCast 3 at the end of the month and StarCast 1 and 2 on demand forever. How dope is that? So once again, shout out to Fight TV. I'm so blessed, man. Never in my wildest imagination that I think this show will be running for so long. Um into year two and by god's grace it's going to be year three four five six seven eight nine i sound like lebron james <laughs> but i'm so excited to be a part of this uh movement uh this wrestling community and hubbard wrestling weekly is starting to put its thumbprint on the wrestling community and that's thanks to you fans everybody who's listening i appreciate and i salute you uh all praise to god i'm a christian man i'm a faith-based man i'm so blessed and so thankful and so humble for this opportunity. So with that being said, we're about to wrap up this episode, this WrestleMania 9 episode. You know what I'm saying? Make sure you check out my show next week. Later in August, we're going to have RJ of Ringside Rant. We're going to be discussing Austin versus Michaels with Tyson as a special enforcer. You know exactly what I'm talking about, y'all. WrestleMania 14 from 1998. So with that being said, on behalf of my guest, my good friend, Conrad, of Everything Pro Wrestling. I'm your host, founder of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly, Sean Hubbard. And this has been the latest edition, but not the last, far from the last. We're going to keep this momentum going. But this has been the latest edition of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. You have been listening to the Hubbard Wrestling Weekly Podcast, which is an original production of HubbardWrestlingWeekly.com. Hubbard Wrestling Weekly is an independently owned company. The opinions and ideas of its host and studio guest are theirs and theirs alone, as Hubbard Wrestling Weekly is not associated with any professional wrestling, mixed martial arts, or boxing organization.
Hubbard Wrestling Weekly, the very best in professional wrestling and combat sports.